Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Mark Harper is a leading expert in the prevention of hypothermia in surgical patients and the therapeutic uses of cold water adaptation and open water swimming. He's been featured in the BBC documentary, The Doctor Who Gave Up Drugs, is a co-creator of Chill UK, a nonprofit committed to providing courses in cold water swimming to improve mental health, the director of Mental Health Swims, and the author of the new book, Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure, a transformative guide to renew your body and mind. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So great to have you. The title of your book is called Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure. And you are an MD and PhD. And when I saw the the title and your title, I said to myself, I have to have this guy on our show because it is such an emerging and fascinating topic. And we love MDs and PhDs here at My Muddy Green. So welcome. And, you know, your book starts off like so many other books in that there's a powerful personal story so so let's let's begin there you know let's flash back to to you being a lifeguard in the uk well yeah i mean that was a a long time ago now so i grew up swimming my uh, mum i thank her very much she kept me uh, swimming as a, a grumpy teenager but this was all in the pool and even in the summers when I used to lifeguard on the beach, I used to avoid going in the sea as, as much as possible, far too cold for me. And then then it was one day I had, uh, you know, the pool had shut for a couple of weeks. You know, this was many years later. So in my 30s, the pool had shut for a couple of weeks. And I was talking to an old friend from my uh, teenage years who said, uh, I said, I was complaining about this. He said, oh, join, the, join the sea swimmers. I said, I didn't even realize the club had it sea swimming group and he said so i said well, when do they swim well uh seven o'clock well when well all year and so i was as shocked as anyone else at that point this was the middle of august peak temperature it gets to about 20 degrees so about 68 70 degrees fahrenheit in the sea in brighton and i said okay i'll give it a go and that first time i went down to the beach i swam we've got a pier that we can swim around swam around that came back out and as I was walking up the beach, it struck me. I thought, I just feel so good. You know, this, this feels so good. Totally not expecting it. And so what was two weeks, what was meant to be two weeks, one summer while the pool was closed has turned into nearly 20 years now and uh, and a whole research career, which has kind of come off the back of that. Wow. So you've been doing this for 20 plus years and in the book, you know, which is largely about, you know, cold, cold therapy and, and how promising it is in terms of combating all sorts of illnesses and, and also in terms of being proactive about one's health, specifically longevity, you know, health span, lifespan. You, know, you say cold, cold water therapy is not new and dates back to the ancient Greeks. So c- can you give us a brief history of cold therapy all the way from Plato to here in 2022? Well, I mean, cold therapy does, as you say, go right back as long as we have medical records. I think for me, the most interesting and possibly relevant one is Hippocrates, you know, known as the father of medicine, ancient Greece. 
he even wrote one of his books is called On Airs, Waters and Places. And there he is extolling the virtues of cold water. Probably of more direct significance to me, though, is if we go back to the mid 18th century and Regency Britain. And there was a guy, Dr. Richard Russell, who was also known as Dr. Brighton. And he popularized the sea cure. And this was slightly different to what we do now, but he took people and took them into the waters in Brighton, my hometown, and had remarkably good results. I mean, he wrote a, his treatise was written in Latin, actually. And it was, you know, it was about curing the king's evil, leprosy and scurvy. And I wouldn't quite go to that extent in what we, what I reckon we can cure these days or what how we can help with it but you know it was a very powerful book and it ended up um with the future king george the fourth coming to brighton in fact he stayed in his first time he came to brighton he stayed in richard russell's house after he died and that meant brighton expanded as a resort and became went from being a fishing village to a uh to a full-on health resort and actually became a bit of a a fun bohemian town and uh, and then it also led to the expansion elsewhere of the sea bathing queue i mean he also got people to drink seawater I, I don't don't recommend that and that kind of so that went on for many years probably for a couple of centuries afterwards but then you know we started finding antibiotics and medicines and we came into this kind of pharmacological paradigm and great though medicines are, I'm a great fan of them. My job as a, an anesthesiologist, I couldn't do them without. I think we've missed something in the meantime, and that's what I believe we're just beginning to discover with cold water therapy, the kind of research I'm doing, the kind of research lots of people are doing into uh, nature and things like this as well. It's not just me, but it, it, that's where it comes to now. So in terms of where we are today, What's happening, you know, in our bodies, phys you know, speaking of the physiology, when we're immersed in cold water, whether it be, you know, in the ocean, in the shower, in a tub, in a plunge, and we're going to touch on all the, the, the various ways to do this. But wh what's happening in the body that seems to be working and, and giving us tremendous benefit? Well, there's what happens in the body when you first start doing it and there's what happens to the body as you get used to it. But basically, getting in cold water is a stress. It's a stress and it has an effect. It gives you uh, noradrenaline, adrenaline, all these stress hormones, cortisol, things like this. They're all uh, secreted as you go into that cold water. Your blood pressure goes up. Your heart rate goes up. Then, uh, then it begins to calm down but I think what was really important for me was finding out how you adapt to cold water so my original area of research was in what's called perioperative hypothermia so if you get cold during surgery you have more complications the stress response is increased and you have more complications now we need a stress response but we don't want too much of a stress response and we want to keep that stress response in the good physiological zone rather than the bad pathological zone and what happens even though you've 
got a fantastic anaesthetist like myself giving you a, a meaning you don't feel anything your body is still reacting as if it's under stress now there are some things we can do to reduce that response so it's more physiological rather than pathological and i saw well the stress response to cold is the same as the stress response to surgery and really to any other stress you care to mention but if you go into the cold water a few times maybe half a dozen that stress response is attenuated and so your baseline level of stress goes down your peak levels of stress go down so you're spending more time in that good physiological level there's a there's another aspect to it as well so so that's the the adaptation to the stress response what you also get is if you put your face in water this is this is the opposite in fact so the, the first is a sympathetic a, a fight flight response when you put your face into water that actually stimulates the vagus nerve it's the diving reflex it's why babies when you throw baby into water it doesn't breathe it's perfectly safe and that direct activation of the parasympathetic nervous system can actually reduce inflammation and so in terms of stressor essentially we're talking about hormetic stressors you know that that kind of short-lived stress which ultimately is good stress yeah i mean that's what we're aiming for yeah if, if we want to use it as a kind of treatment yes that's that's what we're aiming for absolutely and so you, know, you mentioned putting the head in and and and, and my question is always, okay, there, there are various ways we can do this. One, if we live near an open body of water, we can, and, and if it's safe, you can, you can go there. Two, you can do a, you know, go to your tub. You could go to a, a plunge. You could do an ice bath, um, or you could do a cold shower. And so how do you think about the various methods that are available to us and then, so the way I think about this, one, there's method, two, there's, there's frequency, how often we should do it, and then duration. Okay, so the cold response, or the, the body's response to the cold is dependent on two main things. One is the absolute temperature of the water you're going into, and two is the rate of cooling. Water is very effective at cooling. It has what's called a very high thermal heat capacity. So basically, it it loves heat. Just it will take all your heat away from you very, very quickly. So when you go in for a cold plunge, if you go in an ice bath, yes, that's going to have a really strong effect. And for me, we usually go in the sea, and well, it varies between about. Whether I'm in Norway, I've gone into into it at minus 0.2 degrees centigrade, and uh, and uh, when I'm in the UK, it goes up to about 20 degrees centigrade. So, but even at 20 degrees centigrade, you're getting a really good effect. So that's when the, at 20 degrees you get the maximum vasoconstriction. So you you get all your blood vessels closed down maximally. What you probably find is a peak effect somewhere between 10 and 15 degrees centigrade, but you're definitely getting a really good effect even at, uh, even at 20. Above 20, it's a bit different. And interestingly, you know, that's the theory, and that's certainly my experience as well. Occasionally, it sort of goes a little bit above 20 in the, in the water, and I love it still. I mean, it's beautiful, but I don't get that same kick anymore. So it's like 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Yeah, exactly. So, and that's actually not that uncomfortable. And so, okay, so that's temperature. Now, now again, how do you think about, you know, shower, bath, ocean, and, and, and how long? So shower, bath, the thing about them is they're likely to be less cold. You know, it's maybe uh, 65, 70 degrees comes out, uh, still feels cold, but that's the kind of temperature that's coming out. In a bath, you're immersing yourself totally. So, you know, you're going to have the same effect as getting in the sea, really, or the ocean or whatever, a lake. With the shower, you're not getting so cold quite as quickly. Yeah, because it's not a, it's not, you're not total immersion. It's just coming gradually. Although I have to say, I'd much rather get in the, get in the ocean than I would in a cold shower. I hate cold showers. But anyway, so, Yes, it will have an effect. And there's, there's one interesting study which showed that people who took a cold shower uh, every day had less days off work sick, for example. So it has a measurable effect, but it's not going to be as measurable or as strong as that of immersing yourself in cold water. In terms of time, I don't think we really know. For me... What, you know, from my observations and my own experience, I think you stay in as long as it takes you to get your breath under control. Once you've got your breath under control, and this is when it's really cold, it's like, you know, two, three minutes max. And your breath comes under control. You go, you go in, you get that initial, and, uh, and then it passes. Maybe a minute, minute and a half. Once you've got that under control, come back in, and I think you've had the effect. The other thing is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think you get a bonus effect from the uh, putting your face in the water. So I tend to tell, tell people three minutes and put your face in three times. And again, you put your face immediately and you just want to take it out. But if you just hold it there a few seconds, that's still bad, but it's not as bad. So you know, it really doesn't take much time. And how should one prepare themselves for their first experience what should you do and what should you absolutely not do if, if you've never done this before we want to err on the side of caution walk us through whether it's i'm going to try this at home with a shower or a bath or i'm going to jump in the ocean i i mean you can try it at home but i think i mean one of the great things about about sea swimming or about outdoor swimming is being out in nature it's more that it's much more than just the cold the cold has a really good effect but for me it's so much more than than just the cold so being outside in nature with friends whatever you know it's uh it's a, it's the whole package which i think is really important and it's also more likely to keep you doing it so to prepare i think the first thing for everything so there was a book that was very popular in the 80s called the official rules and one of them, my favourite, is Agnes Allen's rule. That is, almost everything in this world is easier to get into than out of. Uh, it, it applies to everything. You know, but apply it to uh, your outdoor swim, and that is make sure you know how you're going to get out. You can get into any body of water. You might not be able to get out. So that's the first thing. Also, prepare with a friend. I mean, if you want to make it a habit, you prepare with a friend, you make... I would suggest at least three dates, but preferably six dates. You're just going to go and you do it six times. And the other thing is to go in warm because 
you know, your core, your body's very good at keeping your core warm. And this is this is essential. You need to keep the core, your organs, your brain, your heart, all that, you need to keep them working really well. And so so that your body's very good at looking after that. But the, one of the ways it does that is by using the heat sink, which is all your peripheral tissues, your muscles, your fat, things like this. So if you go into cold water and your basically your storage heater is cold you haven't got much uh, much reserve but if you go in and your storage heater is warm you're going to have one you're going to have a more pleasant experience and two you it's much safer so that's they're kind of my main rules for for getting in and also start when it's water's at its warmest you know that's what i did that was pure accident but you know, I totally recommend doing that because then you kind of adapted to it when you get into the difficult conditions. I suppose the, the one other thing you've got to look out for if it's quite cold is, so I said you get the sympathetic reaction when your body goes into the water, that fight, flight, uh, high blood pressure, high heart rate thing. When you put your face in the water, you get the more of a slowing of the heart rate, the parasympathetic reaction. So when you first do it, it doesn't matter once you're really used to it, but when you first do it, you need to just get your body into the water first before you put your face into the water. Because sometimes it very rarely, I mean, very rarely, you know, you can get what's called autonomic conflict. So the signals from the parasympathetic nervous system fight with the signals from the sympathetic nervous system, and it can cause funny rhythms in the heart. Got it. Which we do not want. So... I, I don't have access to, to open water. Currently, I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn. East River is not an option. Um, and so with that said, for, for listeners like myself who are going to have to try this in their shower, how, how can we do this for the first time in the shower? Walk us through, you know, do we go hot first, then cold, then hot? You know, how, how do you walk us through the shower for the first time? Well, Again, I think going hot first is probably a good idea and getting hot through because this is my point that you want to keep it warm. I mean, it's not so dangerous in, in a shower, of course, because you haven't got the the other problems associated with outdoor swimming. But if you're warm first and then you just whack it, but I would whack it straight down to cold. This is the thing. You want to get yourself cold as quickly as possible. And it's as simple as that keep warm first and whack it down and then of course you can with the face you can get a, a washing up bowl that i'm doing a, i've done this with kids before you know teenagers I, i've run a couple of courses for you know explaining all this with a, a couple of fun experiments and you just get a, a washing bowl fill it with iced water put your face in that and then close going back to hot to warm up after uh yeah just warm up you know the the rule for any swim or any cold exposure is to get dry and get warm as quickly as you can and can one start with you know it was maybe 30 seconds to start if you're doing the shower is that is that enough to get started i would say you've got to go through the pain barrier uh, you know go to the other side do that three minutes and you you that, that's that could be a lot of pain that'd be a lot of pain for me i like the hot that yeah me well as i say in the shower me too but i think for the you've got to get past that thing and that's gonna be a minute a minute and a half probably but then it will get better it won't be three minutes of that much pain and, and try to breathe through you know control your breathing focus on your nasal breathing try to 
okay so I, i'm trying i'm with you I, I i'm a hot shower guy so this this is like painful for me so with that said we also have a bath so what if we were going to do if, if you're going to do it in the bath where like say you're in the shower and you get you get a cold bath and maybe you get some ice in there and it's ready to go and you're going to jump in to the bath same rule want to get there for two to three minutes and then maybe dunk your head in for a period of time absolutely same exactly the same rule get into the bath two or three minutes wait for that worst bit to to go past and then you've done it and then as i say put your body in first before you think about getting your face under uh, but then once you've passed those three minutes and your breathing comes under control then you can then you can start putting your head under water and this is the thing in fact you know so there's a lot of a uh, lot of people sort of worry about the effect on the heart you know that you know, people who die they go into the water they die because they have a heart attack actually they don't you know, occasionally you might have this autonomic conflict thing but the thing that kills people is the breathing so after you're adapted you know after those half dozen times you can control your breathing when you go into cold water but before you do you cannot so if your head goes under and this certainly happens in places like uh, Brighton or around the coast of the UK where we've got really high tides and really big waves you know someone will just go into the water and a big wave will come over their head and they they just swallow the water they can't hold their breath you know the first thing is take that gasp that's a whole lung full of oxygen uh, of water and then you hyperventilate you can't control your breathing and until you can control your breathing it's not safe to put your uh, face under the water yeah and which i come back to i think if you can do this at home to start it's a great way to to get a little bit better at this before you go straight to the ocean yeah absolutely and you can adapt that way yeah it's perfectly possible i mean there's a one of the guys i work with uh, professor mike tipton he's got this uh, whole setup at his lab where you, you're strapped into a chair basically and you're lowered rapidly into a an ice where's a ice bath ice pool and you know and you just go straight in and that's how some of his uh some of his adaptation programs some of his studies have been conducted by just dunking people in and people voluntarily sign up for this they do in the name of science <laughs> so in the name of science you know you reference a lot of interesting studies in the book and and one i found found to be particularly interesting was around mental health and it was a study conducted by the outdoor swimming society that found that of 287 swimmers who suffered from depression half of them half half of the 287 living with depression for over 10 years that 64 percent of those people said that outdoor swimming helped their symptoms which i found to be pretty powerful so to, to build off of that you know how do you think about the connection here between the, the power of cold therapy and and mental health i think mental health is so so top of mind for everyone right now well the, the two parts to this, I think. One, well, so to go back to how I got into this. So as I say, my my research topic was stopping people getting cold during surgery. And I'd noticed this uh, fact that, you know, the adaptation to cold water reduced, you know, would take you into the physiological zone. So rather than the pathological zone. So I wrote a paper, purely theoretical. It's never been studied in a clinical population. I wrote a paper suggesting that 
By putting people through a cold water adaptation program before surgery, you could reduce the number of complications. Now, one of the key aspects to why it might reduce complications is because cold water adaptation, as part of the response to stress, you know, reduces your inflammatory response. Now, it was a Two or three years after this, I was uh, sitting in the pub reading the newspaper, nothing, uh, nothing too intellectual. I read an article comparing depression to an allergic reaction. And what it said is, in fact, there's a lot of studies showing that depression is linked with inflammation. You can treat that inflammation with a certain proportion, maybe 50, 60% of depression is inflammatory related or associated rather. And the treatments are different. And so you can reduce the levels of inflammation and therefore you could maybe reduce the levels of depression. And so this was the first thing that got me thinking about it. And there's also you know, going back to that first time I'd been around the pier, you know, I felt so good. I'm lucky enough not to have suffered from depression, but you know, I felt good. So from a good point, so there must be something to it in terms of mood. But on top of that, you know, as I said, it's bringing this whole package of other benefits in. You're getting exercise and you don't need much exercise. Yeah, there's one study that shows that if you walk up three flights of stairs every day, you, you have a measurable reduction in your cardiovascular risk. You know, it's, it's not, I mean, you can do a lot more, but you can measure it with that little exercise and you have community you know social isolation is one of the most one of the strongest predictors of uh, poor health you go along you do this with other people that helps outside blue therapy green therapy I, you know you had that your uh, podcast with emma Lowe. yeah fantastic yeah she really made that point very strongly about uh being out in in nature so i think it's a multifactorial intervention well said and i want to build off this idea you, you, you mentioned and, and you talk about in the book inflammation you know I, I think we can all agree that inflammation is the root of all evil when it comes to our health you do not want inflammation whether it's we're talking about you know our brain and then cognition or in our gut and we talk about autoimmune like how, how do you think about and what i think it's so interesting is you're an anesthesiologist too We've had so many different types of doctors and PhDs on this show. I don't think we've ever had an anesthesiologist. Um, so from your point of view, you know, how, how do you think about inflammation, uh, you know, being, being the root of all evil and, and what we can do to, to help stop inflammation in its tracks? Well, I think, again, it comes back. I think we need to sort of take the perspective that inflammation, like stress, is essential. Yeah, we need it. It's what is our body's line of defense against uh, infection, against injury. You know, but like stress, we want physiological inflammation. We don't want pathological inflammation. However, I totally agree with you. Inflammation is the root of all evil. You know, and our modern lifestyles, lack of exercise, poor diet, processed foods, all that kind of thing does tend to increase it. And also the the uh, social aspect, depression, you know, it, it's just all so 
linked in there and what can we do it's the simple things yeah it's it's going out in nature and exercising and eating good food yeah it, it's simple but it's not easy i think is the the way to look at it so in terms of the science much of it is is still emerging what do you think is most interesting that you know is recent or is maybe a work in progress you know, in in really shining a light on the benefits of what cold therapy can potentially do. Well, for me, it's not you know it's not really a mechanistic thing. So there are two approaches to this. You know, and the, the current paradigm would me say that a scientific paradigm would say you you start at the bottom, you start with a molecule, and you say, well, if I get this molecule and it does this, then I can see if it works here, and maybe it will work, and maybe that will have a great effect on a disease. And you start from a very scientific molecular level. My approach was to start from the top and work down. Say, well, first of all, does this work? And you know, we 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 start big and uh, and move down from that. So we had a bit of the basic physiology, but what I've been trying to do is concentrate on does it work? And so for me, the most important actual study is and i have to say it's one of my own which is uh is taking this out and using it in real life you know we've taken this theory and then so shortly after i first met mike tipton uh he got a call from uh this tv doctor uh chris van tulliken who said i'm i'm doing this program called the doctor who gave up drugs you know is there anything you can think of at cold water cold water therapy might or cold water swimming might help for he said well interesting you should say that because he's just he just met me and i'd given him my theory about depression and inflammation and cold water adaptation so he put him on to me and you know along with mike we set up this single you know the bbc found this uh, wonderful girl sarah and who was depressed she'd been the on antidepressants since she was 16 she was now 24 she's a single mother her father had committed suicide her brother had died of an overdose you know she had every reason to need antidepressants but she didn't want her baby daughter growing up to see her mum taking tablets so yeah we took her to the lab it wasn't really cold we, we put her in the water at 15 20 degrees centigrade and and then the next day took her out for a swim in the lake and afterwards kept kept her swimming, you know, sort of followed her up and kept her swimming. And within a few months, she was off her tablets. And uh, five years later, which just before Christmas, I was in contact with her and she's still off the tablets, had another baby, been great. Now, one person isn't enough, you know, and I said to, I said to Chris at the time, I said, what if, what if this doesn't work? He said, don't worry, always works on TV. So... <laughs> So anyway, so then it was to take it out into real life. And this is the study I'm I'm very proud of, is that we got together a group. I mean, I got mentioned Mike Morris, who runs Chill UK, which is this organization that's run the courses. Yeah, he's been so proactive in this. And anyway, he got in contact with me. He said, I want to run some courses for you and you do the research. So we did this research. We eventually got 59 people to do this study, to join this course with clinically uh relevant uh, anxiety you know clinical diagnosis of anxiety and or depression and 
we put them through this course. So that was six week courses, six dips. And at the end of it, uh, you know, 70, 80% were actually recovered. So not just a bit better. I mean, if you look at the figures for, if you look at the figures for uh, antidepressants for uh, you know, Prozac, stuff like that, you know, you get, you can see an improvement in, you know, maybe 30, 40%, but you don't actually get recovery. And what was even better is that three months, you know, my theory always been that this is a self-sustaining treatment. You know, people get into it. Yeah, it's like me. Yeah, you know, I, I went in, I just did it for two weeks, still doing it 20 years later. And my theory was that once people get the bug, they will carry on doing it. And three months later, people were still doing it. And, you know, the recovery rate was still over 50% by all measures. Wow. So people on antidepressants, literally changing their protocol and doing cold water therapy and open water call it a couple it was a couple of days a week or, or every day yeah no it was uh, once a week for six weeks actually it might have been eight weeks that course but yeah six to eight weeks once a week and then off medication well we didn't measure that we we, we didn't mention measure that what we what we did we didn't change anything else in there uh, they might have changed something themselves we didn't change anything else all we did was Come and do a course. Before the course, they had clinically measurable depression or anxiety. After the course, the vast majority didn't. Wow. So where do you think, you know, I think this is an area that is very interesting and clearly developing, but doesn't seem like there's enough research. Um. you know, we think of the mental health health epidemic. We're clearly, you know, look, medication works, but we're clearly over over prescribing people, and and people who are on meds generally want to get off meds. And so, with, with all that said, where would you like to see the research go? Because this should be an area we're all exploring. Well, so there's the mental health aspect of it, and you know, I think we just just need to do more of this. You know, that you want to take it out, do it with more people. And we have now got funding for a study, a, a randomized controlled trial, where we're going to take people and you know, randomize them to normal treatment or going cold water swimming. And that's, that's a real start. What we can do after, as we move on, we can simultaneously look to you know, really compare it to tablets you know medical treatment you know or cbt or stuff like this you know all of it works for some people uh but i mean particularly i mean my issue with tablets and there's something that's totally underrated and under the radar i think is the withdrawal and that's what that was great about sarah she came off the tablets no withdrawal symptoms the, the number of withdrawal symptoms from uh particularly the serotonin type antidepressants is is just huge and so, yeah, so we just expand this out, we keep it. And then as we go along, we can look a bit at the mechanisms. You know, we can, you can look at heart rate variability. You can look at, you know, a small bit with uh, inflammatory markers, but we didn't have enough uh, patients to really, really do that. And then start drilling down on the, on the actual mechanisms of it. So as I wear my my whoop and my aura ring, which tracks my heart rate variability, what what's your what's your theory on HRV 
So I think it, so you, you, with less heart rate variability, you have to correct me on this. <laughs> you get uh, that means that you're calmer, isn't it? Is that right? You you want to. So you want a high, you want a high HRV, low resting heart rate, high HRV, because that's like you're you're adapting to stress. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. My theory is, and I've got there's someone that we're working with who is yeah who knows his stuff. He's the expert on this part of it. Uh, you know, the theory is that your heart rate variability will improve with cold water swimming. And you mentioned a couple of the personal stories, and I found them to be that there were some great ones in the book. Any others that really stood out to you where you said, wow, like I can't believe this person experienced these benefits? I think the, the ones that came that strike me most, the ones where they didn't come expecting any cure. So, for example, as a guy, Grant, I write about in the book. Now, Grant, uh, you know, he's a fit, he was a fit guy. He, you know, was a pushing towards being a professional cyclist. He surfed, he lived in, you know, on the coast, south coast of the UK, you know, really active guy, but tall and slim, you know, perfect person to have a slip disc. And that's what he had. And he had one after the other after another. And, you know, now uh, I think he's late 40s. You know, he was getting pretty depressed. He was looking toward going to the, you know, having a proper referral to a pain clinic and maybe thinking about antidepressants or something like that. You know, and, and he came to the course, you know, because the pain was ongoing. It was reducing his movements. He wasn't able to get out and about and be the active person he really wanted to be. This is not someone who just wants to lie around all day. And... Uh, just before he was about to sort of go to this next level of treatment, he saw saw the thing about our, uh, our course on the local BBC, and he said, oh, I'll give that a go. And he went along for his depression, but he noticed that his pain was getting better as well. And, you know, it was, it was completely coincidental, and this is what I like about it. You know, he, he wasn't looking for a cure for his illness, and he hasn't got a cure, but he can function at a much a much higher significantly higher level now because of the reduction in his pain and it was the same with another guy martin who had fibromyalgia i mean fibromyalgia desperately difficult to treat but again he went he was more anxious and depressed but he came along and he noticed that his symptoms of fibromyalgia were improving with this but i think what I'm, uh, I'd love to see, and you know, they're the powerful stories from the book, but there's more. I mean, you know, uh, long COVID, I think, is our next great challenge. I mean, COVID, you know, it's a disease of information. It's not okay that you get, it's uh, transmitted uh, through the air. You get very dramatic respiratory symptoms, but actually it's an allergic reaction. Someone that has a big allergic reaction has a bad reaction to COVID, and it's all down to the inflammation. And there is a story, I mean, I haven't, it's not someone I've spoken to, but there is, there are reports of people who are beginning to use, uh, use cold water swimming against long COVID. And I think there's a, that's a real area of somewhere I'd like to see more research, more, more done for these people, you know, because the, the, the pandemic has, you know, has expanded its problems with uh, mental health, but also the, the physical problems as well.
Yeah, and you know, speaking to friends of mine who are who are doctors, and and they all say long COVID is very real, and there are many people out there who are really suffering, and I think we're yet to see, uh, you know, the, the implications there. They look at everyone. So many people have had COVID, I think, <laughs> and and so there are probably millions of people with long COVID who, who really need help. Uh, and it doesn't seem like we have a solve there yet. So, you know, and I go back to, would you rather be on medication or would you rather be in cold water? Yeah. And, you know, it's got to be worth a try. I mean, yeah, you say it's me out there. I mean, one of my colleagues, you know, she'd been vaccinated. I think she's had a third, certainly a second vaccine. You know, she has been out for six months now. Absolutely flat. She just about gets out of the, walks out of the house now. It's been terrible. You know, she's fit, healthy, you know. Yeah. Wow. Well, at any rate, uh, Mark, fascinating uh, work. I, I think cold therapy is so promising. And thanks again so much for taking the time to chat with us. No, it was an absolute pleasure.